Daddy, Reverend Dr. Femi Adeleye. You can do better than that. You can do better than that. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let me begin by appreciating all students present in this conference. Because without students, we shan't be here. NIFES continues in ministry and impact because of the presence of students in universities and colleges and as well as other institutions. So I greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I will also want to acknowledge the presence of the person who signed my appointment letter when I became traveling secretary in Zaria Zone in 1980. Uncle Kola me Because last week I was checking through some of my books, and I came across my identity card signed by Uncle Kola in 1980, confirming me as a traveling secretary for NIFES. Now, if you look at the picture there, you won't recognize me, because I had an Afro hairstyle. Now all the hair seems to have disappeared somewhere. Having acknowledged Uncle Kola's presence, I'm so delighted to see Professor Sam Ale, whom I've not seen for many years. He was my Zona chairman in Zaria Zone. Welcome, sir. Due protocols require me to acknowledge the presence of the council chairman, Barrister Ofyong. Thank you, sir, for being here and for inviting me. And for several associates, some I've not seen for so many years, the Ariba Shogos and others here seated with us. We thank God that God continues to give us a platform of engagement in NIFES. To him be the glory. I believe the subject we are reflecting on is so significant for the day's we live in, and particularly for the season of ministry in this nation, missions in the marketplace. Because some years back, probably in the 70s or early 80s, when we think missions, we don't think there is any connection between missions and the marketplace. It was the season, in fact, in which people considered anything marketplace as secular. There was a sacred, secular divide, and everybody wants to be in Christian ministry. In fact, even as traveling secretary, when students come to me for prayer, for counseling, and I ask, what are you thinking about for vocation? And they immediately refer to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. 
where the Bible says it was he who called some to be apostles, to be prophets, to be evangelists, to be teachers and pastors. And then I ask, what if God calls you to be an engineer? And some of them say, oh, that's just a job. It's not ministry. So it is a sense of joy for me today to be sharing on this particular subject. And I thank the Knifest leadership team led by the national director for considering this subject important for our reflection. May I just pray as we go into God's word for some reflections on this. Father, thank you because the whole universe belongs to you. The world belongs to you. And Lord, as we reflect on who you are, the world you have created, and the role you want us to have in it, give us wisdom, give us insight, make us willing Lord, to unlearn some things we've embraced in the past and to commit to the direction you want us to go today. We ask this in your name. What is missions in the marketplace? Yesterday, we were helped by the first speaker who told us the difference between mission and missions. And when I was sharing yesterday, I also emphasized that our primary mission is the mission of God. Mission without the S. All we are called to do, evangelism, discipleship, in all spheres of life, is not our mission. It's not our vision. If it is ours, it will lead nowhere. It is the mission of God who has preordained for us to participate in it. So that's the starting point. That mission is of God because God is a missionary God and he demonstrated that in sending his son Jesus Christ to live, to minister, to die on the cross and to rise again. And he has enabled us by the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses related to his mission. Yesterday we also learned that missions with the S, missions, is all that God has called us to be and to do in his world. Note that it begins with being. And we did say yesterday, before that was Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, go ye into all the world, making disciples of all nations. That was Matthew chapter 9, sorry, chapter 4, verse 9. Matthew chapter 4, verse 9. Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And I suggested we must pause in the I will make you before completing fishers of men. Because there is a making process until we have been made in Christ, become the product of Christ, made and branded by Christ. We cannot participate in the mission of God. So the making process comes first. So what is the marketplace? You may be wondering, what is the marketplace? In scripture, as well as other literature, 
The marketplace essentially is a place of public interaction. The place of public business. The word comes from a Greek word, agora, which essentially refers to where there is public discourse, interaction between people within communities. It's a platform where goods are exchanged for sale. In some situations, it's a public assembly where trials take place, where village heads converse together. For us today, let me suggest that embracing all of that, we remember also when Jesus Christ was telling a parable. He referred to workers in the marketplace. Someone who has gone to hire workers to do some business. All that comprise marketplace. So essentially, it is the space of diverse professions, economics, agriculture, architecture, engineering, government departments, private institutions, in which services are provided for the community or society. In fact, it includes the world of traffic, what goes on on the highways. So let's bear all this in mind as we reflect. So for vocation and careers, while many of us here will be called to go into what we call full-time Christian ministry, and we'll reflect a bit more on this later, some of us will be called to be missionaries, to be evangelists. The truth is, many others of us will not go in that direction. We'll go into government departments. We'll go into the academy as faculty members, as teachers, lecturers, becoming professors. Many of us will go to excel in scientific production. And all this comprise mission in the marketplace. So what has mission got to do with all of this? Reflecting this morning, it occurs to me that several of the things I've jotted down critically start with the word M. M as in Matthew, M as in Monday. And I, 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 I discovered when I was trying to line them all up, that I had six M's, actually seven, but I was uncomfortable about listing the other M as a major one. I will explain later. The first M that occurs to me is what I've said already. It is the mission of God. Without that understanding that God is at work in his world for a purpose to which we've been invited to participate Whatever we seek to do may be in vain or not to his glory. And then, of course, related to that is the idea of mandate. Mandate. Say mandate with me, students. God has given us a mandate for missions in the marketplace. If your mandate is not from God... To be in business. If your mandate is not from God to be a medical doctor. If your mandate is not from God to be a classroom teacher 
in which you turn that classroom into a space for kingdom values to be imparted to young people. You may just be doing a job that gives you money disconnected from God's mission. But we have a mandate from the living God. Hence our professional callings, regardless of what they are in the marketplace, Christians must know is a mandate from the maker of heaven and earth. This mandate is reflected from beginning. So if we remind ourselves of even the beginning of creation, when God created the world and made man in his image, the location God placed the first man, Adam, was not in temples, was not in synagogues, and definitely was not in church. God placed Adam in a garden, the Garden of Eden. The first commission verbally from God to man happened in the Garden of Eden, and it's a commission to walk till the garden. Be fruitful and multiply. It's a mandate for work. It is important to note that it is related to economic issues. Planting a garden, producing crops out of which people feed, animals feed, doesn't seem spiritual. But in the sight of God, there is no difference between sacred and secular. If you go into scriptures in the Hebraic mindset, all of life is sacred. There is no dichotomy. How we've ended up with this dichotomy, we may look briefly into. But from the very beginning, the living God who is holy and blameless, and in fact calls us to be the same. Ephesians chapter, chapter 1 verse 3 says, God has blessed us with spiritual blessings in, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And in verse 4 it says, before the foundation of the world was laid, before God said, let there be light, let there be this, before the foundation of the world, Paul told the Ephesians, God has chosen you in Christ Jesus to be holy and blameless in his sight. This is a sacred mandate deriving from the living God himself. And please let's remember, especially as we think of ministry, that the triune God were present. God the Father was present at creation. God the Son was present at creation. Paul puts it beautifully to the Colossians in chapter 1 verse 16. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Please let's not misread this, that Jesus holds together only what we consider spiritual. No, the whole universe. It was John Calvin who said, the finger of God is at the helm of the universe and at the heart of those created in his image. 
So God the Son was there. Jesus is the Logos, holding all things together. This is significant because the fact that we can wake up daily to see the sun rising, the planets revolving, no collision that we are aware of, orderliness in sustenance of creation, it is Jesus that holds all this together. And you may be wondering where the Holy Spirit was. If you go back to Genesis, the Holy Spirit was there at the very beginning. In Genesis verse 1 to 2, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. Then listen to verse 2. Now the earth was without form and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. So we see the triune God there from the beginning. This is an important foundation to secure our mandate in. That our involvement in government departments, in various ministries, in various institutions, is not just a government job, but a mandate for those saved by grace, preordained for good works, to impact wherever God has placed us. So the mandate comes from the living God. And the God of our mandate, brothers and sisters, is a God of purpose and precision. God has a plan for his world. There is a pattern, brothers and sisters, a pattern not just for church. God has a pattern for all spheres of life, for governance, for economics, for interaction and relationships between nations and people of diverse cultures. There is a pattern. You will note that when God instructed Moses and others to construct the tabernacle, God was precise in the measurement, using local materials, wood and other ingredients that would make up the tabernacle. But I suggest to us that God was not just interested in the tabernacle, but interested in all spheres of life that we refer to today as the marketplace. That's why when the Israelites were delivered out of Egypt, from the slavery in Egypt, towards the promised land. By the way, the promised land was not some space in the sky. The promised land was on this earth. The psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and all the people who live in it belong to God. But in the path to the promised land, have you noticed? Now, I know students often have difficulty reading Leviticus or Deuteronomy. You purpose to read through the Bible in the year. You begin in Genesis, very interesting. You get to Exodus, interesting. But by the time you get to Leviticus, hmm, all these laws, what do you do with them? Okay, I'll skip it for now. I'll come back later. I'll jump to Proverbs or to Psalms. Easy to read, isn't it? No. But Leviticus and Deuteronomy are essential for understanding of God's commit commitment to all spheres of life. 
So God gave instructions concerning architecture, agriculture, how farming should be done, how ag- architecture should be done, homes should be built. He gave instructions about family relationships. He gave instructions on the market itself, the marketplace. Listen to Leviticus 19.35. Do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or volume. Your scales and weights must be accurate. Your containers for measuring dry materials or liquid must be accurate. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Do you think God has any interest in tomatoes in the tomato market? You know, sometimes I go to the, I still go to the market with my wife. We go to buy tomatoes, and sometimes we come across market women singing church hymns as they sell their goods. And then I ask, hey, this tomato looks ripe on top. Please, can you tell me what is underneath? Some are honest to say, well, you know, we attract clients or buyers with what is on top. But I always insist, can you pour it in a different container? And more often than not, the rotting tomato is hidden under. And I often ask the woman, if you are selling to God Almighty, how will you present your tomatoes? The point I'm making is, God is as interested in what happens in the public market as he is in what happens with the tabernacle or in the temple. Proverbs 20.23 says, The Lord detests double standards. He is not pleased by dishonest scales. Essentially, it's don't cut corners. Don't cheat. Don't make Unhealthy profit at the expense of people. Surprise, surprise. I think the last time I traveled Abuja to Kaduna, I was so embarrassed because I had some visitors with me. And I can say it here. You know, the highway between Abuja and Kaduna was like a public toilet. Maybe you've not seen what I've seen. You've seen excrement along the highway. You see people unashamedly defecating the highway by the roadside. Sometimes I'm surprised to see gentlemen in neat ties and suits get out of their car and in in public. Is God interested in those things? If you read the Bible well, you find it there. God had instructions for toilets. I know toilet is not a word that comes often from the pulpit. But if it's in the Holy Bible, we must take it seriously. Hallelujah. So the Bible tells me in Deuteronomy 23, verse 12, designate a place outside the camp when you go to relieve yourself. As part of your equipment, have something to dig with. And when you relieve yourself, dig a hole and cover up, the Bible is very blunt, cover up your excrement. Hello? Why is God giving those laws? Is it for him? No. It's so that there will be environmental sanitation and we don't contaminate the ground that we produce food for other people or contaminate streams of water. 
So our mandate comes from a God who is concerned about all spheres of life. Our mandate comes from a God who gives skills and ability, capacity, for those created in his, in his image, not only to serve in temples, synagogues, and churches, but in the public sphere. For instance, the gift of craft, artistic design. If you go to Exodus, then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hor, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Note that prior to the skills God would give him to do, to use, God begins with, I have filled him with my spirit. I have filled him with the Holy Spirit. Do you need the Holy Spirit for engineering? I can't hear you. Do you need the Holy Spirit for medical practice? Do you need the Holy Spirit for agriculture, developing farms? Then why have we segregated all? So God says concerning Bezalel, I have filled him with my Holy Spirit. With wisdom and understanding. With knowledge and with all kinds of skills. To make artistic design for work in gold, in silver, in bronze. To cut and set stones to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, says the Lord in Exodus 31 verse 6, I have appointed Oheliab, son of Ahisamak, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given ability to do all the skilled workers to make, given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. Some may argue this is because it has to do with the tabernacle. But I suggest to us, no. Because when we pray, as the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It's not just thy kingdom come, thy will be done in Christian conferences, thy will be done in churches as it is in heaven. No. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the highways. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in business as you have preordained in heaven. Thy will be done in governance, in politics, here on earth as you have preordained in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in medical practice as you have preordained in heaven. You know, the Bible talks of the, the, the riches of wisdom and knowledge resting in Christ Jesus himself. And sometimes when we pray for word of knowledge, word of wisdom, we think it has only to do with evangelism. No, it has to do with it. But beyond that, the wisdom, the riches of Christ's resources is for all spheres of life. The arts, worship and music, medical practice, engineering. A 93-year-old man just won the Nobel Peace Prize in chemistry. 93-year-old. 
and he's still practicing chemistry. But when he was being interviewed, what did he say about his excellence in chemistry? He said, Almighty God, through his son Jesus Christ, gave me the wisdom to produce the things I have produced. Hallelujah. The wisdom for chemistry. And that's why, brothers and sisters, those of you doing biology or physics, don't think this just towards getting a paycheck. You know, sometimes I lament, I lament that I didn't have a good orientation when I was growing up as a student. Because those were even the seasons where Brother Gbile was sharing yesterday about expectation of the Lord Jesus Christ coming. Many students abandoned the university because Christ is coming. But not only that, many people abandoned the university because they said physics engineering is irrelevant for Christian ministry. And some people in the public sphere always talk of, after I've made some money, I will resign and go into full-time Christian ministry. That was the mindset. If we had the right orientation, I suggest to us, Nigeria will not be in the plight it is today. Hallelujah. Because the mind of Christ in his people will have addressed some of the things that plague us most in society if we had a holistic view of our mandate to engage with the public sphere. So that will be done on earth as it is in heaven involves engagement in all vocations that God has called us into. And I do appreciate ministries as in Peace House where to be a teacher or to be an engineer, whatever it is, begins with a commissioning, being called into ministry. You know, I wish all those who have gone into our foreign service, all those who have gone into our legislature, those that are Christians have seen it as a call to go into those spaces for ministry. That brings me to my third M. The first M is the mission of God. Second M is mandate. Third M, ministry. And this is as important because ministry connotes that we've been invited by God to serve his purpose in all spheres of life and especially in the marketplace. If you read Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12, ministry is used interchangeably with service, works of service, works of ministry. But as I, as I indicated earlier on, we had a wrong orientation and understanding of what ministry is. And yet when you reflect on the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, he actually spent very little time in the synagogues or the temple. He went to his hometown in Nazareth once in a while to read from the scrolls in the synagogue. But it is to declare his mission. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. But the fulfillment of the ministry of Jesus, almost 90%, it's in the public sphere. It's on the highways. It's on the streets. It's on the homes. Why? Because that's where the broken hearted are. 
Those that mourn, that's where they are. And it is not church that causes the brokenness. It's the public sphere. So if Jesus spent most of his time in that space, so should we. So when Paul talks about God, the Lord Jesus Christ, giving some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. We often want to embrace that. Oh, that God will make me a prophet. Oh, that God will make me an apostle. As I said yesterday, in Ghana where I live, we no longer have just prophets. We have major prophets. So they distinguish between major prophet and minor prophet. Although, although you hardly hear anybody say, I'm a minor prophet. Everybody wants to be a major prophet. And we've taken this ministry skills as titles. So you hear apostle so and so, prophet so and so, evangelist so and so. These are not meant to be titles. They are meant to reflect the equipping of God on a select group of people for a purpose. What is the purpose? Verse 12 tells us the purpose. 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Then listen to verse 12. It is to equip the saints for works of service or for works of ministry. That is the purpose. You see, the challenge we have is that we have separated the marketplace from ministry. Considering it to be secular. Yet, as we've said, before God, all of life is sacred. When God preordained Joseph to be the economic manager or prime minister of Egypt under Pharaoh, Joseph wasn't carrying out a secular ministry. He was carrying out sacred ministry preordained by God to rescue not only Egypt, but to rescue Israel and other nations. When David was king of Israel, we know him as a poet, we know him as a shepherd, but David as king was a politician. Serving God's purpose as the first king or second king of Israel after Saul failed miserably. When Daniel was in Babylon, serving for about 51 years, under four different pagan, if you want to use that word, kings. It was the sacred deposit of God in him that equipped him and prepared him for faithful witness. We can go on and on and name Nehemiah, name Esther, name Deborah. They were in full-time Christian ministry in the marketplace where it matters most. So how have we come with this dichotomy? You know, have you ever wondered why we have ministry of works, ministry of health, ministry, what are the other ministries? I can't hear you. Ministry of finance, ministry of housing. Have you ever wondered why even in Islamic countries, they are called ministries. Do some research. I did. 
And I discover that we have embraced what the British system passed on to us under colonial regime. Ministry of Justice, Ministry of Works were named as such after the great revival in England in the 18th century. When Christians in the Christian Missionary Society and Clapham said, said, God has placed them in the world commissioned to impact all of life. So they started initiatives like hospitals, orphanages. They worked against slave trade. William Wilberforce and others challenged slave trade. Many of them went into the legal profession to be advocates against injustice in England and other parts of Europe. And then the departments began to be named ministry, ministry of justice. Why? Because that's where Christians serve God's purpose in establishing his justice. And that even for those in ministry of labor, labor, labor must be done by God's change agents as God intends it to be. That's how we inherited all the ministries we have. But I ask you, what percentage of Christians in the ministry of works or ministry of, of transport see it as a mandate from God? May God help us to shift the paradigm and begin to see our professional callings. Because as we'll probably hear from Brother Gbile tomorrow, part of the questions on that final judgment day it's often not what we do in church. You know, questions like when I was hungry, when I was in prison, when I was this. Where do those things happen? It's in the marketplace. It's in the marketplace. And in fact, it's so frightening because the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, on that day many will come and say, we've prophesied in your name. We've performed miracles. And it's going to say, depart from me, I do not know you. So ministry engages all spheres of life. Let's move on to the fourth. Motive. What is our motive for being involved in the workplace? I won't dwell long on this. Apart from emphasizing that for most people, they go into professional callings to make money. Now, there's nothing wrong with making money if it's done according to God's purpose, honoring. In fact, God told the Israelites through Moses, but you shall remember, Deuteronomy 8.18, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which is swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Having said that, is ministry or service in the public sphere marketplace only for making money? I suggest not. Because the temptation is rife to idolize not only work, but for the profits of work to become idols in our lives. We are sent into that space, even though we get rewarded for it, 
to instill the righteousness of God, the justice of God. Therefore, our motives, our motives must be in line with God's purpose. I suggest to us that most of the things that God hates, and if you like, you can say most of the things that God hates about Nigeria, I dare say that because it's been a long-term burden. Most of the things God hates about Nigeria happens in the marketplace. Listen to the things God hates. Proverbs 6.16 There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. These are things God hates. And the marketplace is so filled of them that we need to go in there as radical catalysts for change. Bringing our moral capital. Can you believe how much moral capital we have? You are in church every Sunday, hearing sermons. You are in midweek services every week. You are in prayer meetings. You have studied scripture. What do we do with it if we are not impacting where it matters most, the marketplace? May God cause us to repent and do what he's called us to be and to do in his world. Next M. This is where I had a dilemma because this has to do with money and mammon. But I don't want to glorify mammon by making it an M standing on its own. So I've linked it together because they are related. I emphasize this because increasingly there is an ascent of mammon. And mark my words, there is an ascent of mammon not only in the marketplace but even on the pulpit. And it cripples whatever mandate God may have given us. Now, money is important and necessary when used as a means to fulfill God's purpose. When used that way, money is a servant. Money is a servant to serve God's purposes. All ministries need money. And God has given his people generous hearts. Remember when people were bringing offerings and collection for the building of the tabernacle. It came to a time Moses had to tell them, stop, it's enough. We have more than enough. So God has given his people generous hearts to give. So when we earn money in the marketplace, it should be diverted towards God's purpose. So as a servant, money can be used to serve God's purpose. Often a scripture text that misquoted is, money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. It is the love. The love or the lust of money that is the root of all evil. However, in the marketplace is where the contest comes. Money, when not acquired as God wants it to be, becomes a threat to my loyalty to God. So the, the, the focus, the demand to pay attention to money, 
the, the crave to acquire more and more of it eventually lets the tail wag the dog in the life of many Christians. And that's when money becomes master, demanding worship. Essentially, mammon is money or wealth that has become the master over the lives of those who should have mastered it. And I've suggested this is not only the marketplace, but even in church. And this is why Jesus clearly puts it straightforward to us. You cannot worship God and mammon. It's impossible to worship God and mammon. So, marketplace, mission deriving from God, mandate to, be, to participate, ministry as God intends it to, money or mammon, and then missions. I won't say much on this. Because we've heard so much about missions since yesterday and from the various mission agencies that are present. Let me bring this home to us as I try to round up. What should this mean to us in this nation? We must begin by honestly asking, what is the state of our nation? Have you ever asked why God put the nation together? Historians have argued Nigeria is an accident of history. It's a British contraption. You know what? I reject all of those. Because the Bible tells me differently. The Bible tells me in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, that it is not a mistake for me to be a Nigerian. Hallelujah. Because the Bible says, out of one man, God made nations of all people. And he has predetermined not only how long we should live, but the exact habitation, the exact locations of our habitation. So even when I go to South Africa and people say, oh, all Nigerians are corrupt. I have developed a thick skin against that. You know, I, I, I applied for a visa some time ago in Mozambique to cross over to Eswatini. How many of us know where Eswatini is? Eswatini. Have you ever heard of a country named Swaziland? That is Eswatini. Because last year, the wife-grabbing monarch, the king of Swaziland, changed the name of the country to Eswatini. I said wife-grabbing because every year after the rich dance, it takes a new woman as wife. Now he has 16 wives. And to tell you how how the mindset is so corrupted. Last month, last month, in a country where people are struggling to put food on the table, this king, this monarch, ordered six Rolls Royces. You can check it out on the net. Six Rolls Royce cars, designer made for his newly acquired wives. And people ask, what is wrong with you Africans? So that's the country I was going to, and I applied for the visa. The man looked at my passport and threw it on a desk. said, I'm not going to give you a, a visa. I said, why? May I ask why? So all you Nigerians are corrupt. I said, really? May I ask you a question? He said, no, I don't take questions. I said, I insist. Because you've disrespected my nationality by throwing my passport on a desk. So what's your question? 
I said, do you have prisons in Manzini? He said, what has that got to do with this? I said, do you have prisons? He said, of course, we have prisons. I said, do you have Swazi nationals in prison? He didn't want to answer me. So I followed. Are all your prisoners Nigerians? He didn't answer me. He said, okay, just give me your passport. He picked the passport and said, come back in two hours for your visa. You know, we are being demonized everywhere we go. South Africa, wherever in Europe. All Nigerians are corrupt. And we must resist it. When they tell me that, I said, I tell them, I'm preordained to be a Nigerian by the grace of God. And even if all Nigerians are corrupt, I want to be the exception. So don't let anyone look down on you anywhere in the world because you're a Nigerian. Just as Paul told Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. And please, students, don't pursue frivolous things. Part of the reason Nigeria is in such a mess, we must acknowledge at home ground that our country is in a mess. Even before church grew so much, before we had multiple prophets and apostles and bishops, we slept more peacefully at night than we do now. When I was living in Zaria, when I was a student in Zaria and Kano, Uncle Bayo would come to my school around 8 p.m. and tell me, Femi, it's time to leave. To leave for where? Meduguri. We'll leave Kano about 8 p.m. or 9 p.m., drive through the night to Meduguri. If we are tired, we pack by the road and sleep. When we wake up, we continue. Now that the church has grown, we can't do that anymore. The fear of kidnapping has become the, 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 the beginning of wisdom for many Nigerians. What are we here for, students, if you can't change that paradigm to reestablish the purpose for which God has raised you up in Nifes for such a time as this? Please, be purposeful. I was in Namibia some years ago, and the students were, you know, participating lukewarmly in Bible study. So to challenge them, I changed the subject. I said, what motivates students on this campus? What are the driving factors in your life as students? And somebody said, oh, there are three C's. It didn't waste time. There are three C's. Three C's, what are they? Cash, you must have cash as students. Two, cars. Even if you have, even if you have to borrow money to buy a car. And that was when cell phones were just coming into place. We sell cell phones. Cash, cars, cell phones. And then the young lady said, no, 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 no. There are four. What is the fourth one? Condoms. And they told me, if you have those four C's, you will survive. And I told them, those are frivolous pursuits that will lead you astray from God's purpose for your life. Let's not pursue frivolous things. Let's seize the hour. We are Nigerians by God's appointment. And it should make a difference. Discipling of all nations is not just picking some disciples. It is changing the whole national culture. Some Japanese friends tell me, why is it, they ask, 
that with all that God has blessed you with in Africa, in Nigeria, your people are still so poor and miserable. Because we hear Nigeria is becoming the poverty capital of the world. And it's in the news. And it makes me remember days of old. We talk of granite pyramids in Kano. We talk of cotton being exported. Cocoa being exported. This was before oil was discovered in, in marketable quantities. So I asked, what has happened to us? But they go further to saying, after all, God wills shalom for his people. How come with the number of Christians and churches in Nigeria, it has not made any difference in the public sphere, challenging corruption, challenging how business is done. And they rub it in by telling me, here in Japan, we don't believe in God. Most of us are atheists. But see how stable our economy is. See how stable our systems are. I don't, I, I don't applaud them for that. But it says something to me. Where are the Josephs to manage our economy? Where are the Nehemiahs to rebuild the broken walls? Why is it, brothers and sisters, that Nigeria spends at least 11 billion naira? No, no, no. 11 billion dollars each year to import food. Food like wheat, rice, sugar, and fish. We import fish. Can you believe it? Why can't we put a stop? I know government is making some efforts. But I suggest to us, it's because Christians who have the wisdom of Christ have not, have not gone enough into the industry to produce what we make for shalom in this country. To produce what we change the paradigm of mission. So I conclude by asking, what is ministry? What is our mandate? What is your role? We've been challenged to reassess where we are in Christ. It begins with that. When the Bible says, when David has served God's purpose in his generation, he fell asleep. It was in a place. This is our place. It begins by knowing what Paul started with in that context. In God we live and move our being. What should it mean for 3,000 students who live and move in God to impact Nigeria. We must change the story. What can we do about the kidnapping? About the sleepless nights? Two weeks ago, a Nifest area chairman was kidnapped. Before then, a staff worker of Nifest had his children kidnapped from school. How long, oh Lord, when there are these numbers of people? And this morning as we close, I will challenge us to go before the Lord in prayer. Asking, Lord, why am I here? What have you called me to be and to do? What do I need to repent of? The vocation, the skills you've given me. How should I use them? Let's bow our head in prayer. You may be an associate already in the